to season five, episode number three of the City Diplomacy Student Podcast, where we discuss the added value of international city networks. Today's topic is the International Coalition of Inclusive and Sustainable Cities. We are joined today by Julie Garnier and myself, Ian Grigic. And this is a podcast for the course City Diplomacy at uh, the Paris School of International Affairs of Sciences Po. It is taught by Lorenzo Kilden Grandi and it is uh, spring 2023. Can you tell us more about the network? Uh, yeah, of course I can. So the International Coalition of Inclusive and Sustainable Cities, or ICAR, was launched in 2004. It was launched by uh, UNESCO uh, with the aim of promoting social inclusion and sustainable city development in cities worldwide. Uh, their primary intention was to do this through assisting local authorities and combating discrimination in their capacity as sort of policymakers and uh, governance in their governance capacities, especially as service providers as well. So this includes a broad set of areas and fields such as education, employment, housing provision, cultural activities, etc. Uh, it's part of uh, UN Habitat and also the new urban agenda brought by Habitat 3. Oh, wow. Thank you. <laughs> um, what are the missions of the of the network? So ICAR's mission is, as we just said, the, to support cities in promoting inclusive, sustainable, resilient urban development. Uh, again, they seek to do this through promoting collaboration, knowledge sharing among cities, providing technical assistance, capacity building support, and also raising awareness of these issues. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's really to combat all forms of discrimination, you know, think racism, homophobia, well, they're against it. Oh, okay, I see. Well, there must be a lot of members and they must be, like, how does it work? Well, yeah, that's the encouraging thing is that it is a very uh, widespread network with a lot of cities tagging along for it. Uh, apparently, there's more than 500 member cities from around the world uh, and as well as networks of regional and national coalitions. So it's a very broad network with a global membership uh, with, you know, member cities in more than 50 countries. Um And seven, as we said, regional and national coalitions. So there's an African one, Asia-Pacific one, Arab one, etc. Uh, as well as certain national ones, such as, you know, the United States has uh, its own network. So the regional ones really focus on coordinating efforts with the region, allowing them, you know, to adapt to sp specific uh, circumstances. And the national ones, well, same thing, just for a yeah. <laughs> country. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of cities' members. How do you manage that? Who governs what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it's governed by a steering committee. Uh, interesting name. Uh, that And, you know, they provide strategic direction, oversee the implementation of the activities and the various programs. Um, it's... Uh, comprised of uh, representatives from the various uh, member cities, national and local governments, city society, civil society organizations, you know, private sector initiatives that are partners of the organizations, as well as representatives from, you know, UN Habitat and other partners. Uh, so, you know, it gives quite equal, or at least nominally gives fairly equal representation in its governance uh, to all of its members. And then for specific projects, uh, the cities that are involved, you know, take the lead on that. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Well, uh, as you speak about projects, how do they fund that? Like, 
Uh, well, the funding is primary. Well, primarily comes from contributions through uh, from its member cities. Uh, so you know, block grants and whatnot, as well as other sources of funding, which include uh, partner organizations, various national governments, private sector entities, etc. Uh, what's interesting about the initiative is that it does not have a centralized budget or a funding mechanism per se, other than this. So it really relies on the contributions from its members and you know their willingness to support uh, their activities and programs. Wow! Oh wow! I see. Um, but what do they do with that money then? <laughs> what are their activities? <laughs> uh, well, as we said, uh, they're focused on promoting sustainable and inclusive urban development. So this means, you know, capacity building initiatives, research and development uh, projects, you know, policy and program development and primarily knowledge sharing and networking between cities. So, you know, they host various conferences where uh, city representatives can get together and share their best practices. Uh, the various national organizations also tend to have their own sort of uh, publications of various kinds mm -hmm. uh, where they can share their uh, findings about, you know, their activities and their aims. So, yeah, I think that that's a that's it for the organization itself. Um, and, you know, based on this, there is a lot of opportunities that it has some strengths some weaknesses that we can discuss yeah so from what you just said we can say that it's a shared platform for cities with over 500 members across the globe so it's a way to share best practices coordinating their efforts come up with collaborative solutions innovative actions and etc and in order to do so they have a 10 points action plan for each regional coalition so it's a way to focus really on each regional Um, issues and very focused like their actions so yeah yeah I guess that they have a really sort of wide base of knowledge to pull from if it's 500 cities across yeah, the world yeah, yeah knowledge and also resources like all the resources are shared among the members so it's a way to benefit from one another you know Um, it's also like another very good strength that it's an opportunity for members, so for cities to have a voice in combating discrimination and to fight for racism and advocating for policies. Because, um, you know, we have seen during the course that cities as such do not have uh, much power. They are important actors, but they do not have a voice when voting for laws and policies. So through a network such as ECAR, the cities can advocate for the better and they can make their voice heard, you know. Yeah, and it's interesting to see them uh, included in the sort of UN networks and be participants in that. Yeah, I don't know if you know, but it actually become a reference. It's the unique city level platform in the UN system and the international community as a whole. So, yeah, it's another strength. And also we can bring that there is an equal representation in the steering committee. So, yeah, the governance is quite spread among members. Yeah, well, I mean, that all sounds great, but I'm also sure that there are some uh, less than great things associated with it. What yeah. do you think were some weaknesses? Of course there are. Um, as you can imagine, the members may face barriers like of all kinds, like financing, and etc. When they implement their action, um, it can have a, a limit, like it can limit the positive impacts of the network. Um, there is no formal mechanism for implementation and no formal funding. So um, it may also result in some failure for achieving their commitments. And that can, in some 
to some extent uh, result in undermining the, the image of the network. So Yeah, I guess the flexibility and diversity within a network is both both a strength, but if there's no like universal compliance mechanism or whatever, then yeah, it's a bit exactly. of an issue. That's it, that's exactly. Um, also, we can see that there is a disparity in representation among the members, so that's not like it's universal. Western cities are much more represented because they have much more budget, so that's yeah. another weakness, but still. And also, while the intent of the network is quite novel, it is really hard to find concrete action that they did. Like, for instance, the European Regional Coalition, like their last conference dates back from 2020, so. Yeah, I guess COVID did derail it, but that was three years ago, so... Yeah, <laughs> so let's see how it can improve, and yeah. So, I mean, seeing as there are some weaknesses clearly, what do you think are some opportunities where uh, the network could expand or strengthen its activities? Uh, speaking about the future, I would say that we can imagine more members are going to join, there will be more collaboration between and among them, they can develop their skills, their knowledge, activities, program that they can expand, uh, to speak uh, broadly. Uh, they can advocate for more, for new policies, to fight racism and discrimination. And I think that an, a really uh, important opportunity is to adopt an innovative point of view when addressing new and emerging challenges and issues. Um, I think that it's something that is already happening. Like in 2020, UNESCO led a review process of the plans of action with the regional and national coalitions in order to align with the contemporary challenges and raising uh, the visibility of racism and racial discrimination. So that's something that they take into account, but they need to... Yeah, hopefully it leads to some uh, sort of institutional strengthening on the end of, on the behalf of the network and maybe clearer compliance uh, mechanisms and whatever. Hopefully, yes. Let's see what happens in the future. Yeah, but the future can also bring a lot of threats and challenges. What do you think in this field? That's true. Could be an issue. <laughs> well, in this field and like other fields, we have this, the threats of limited financial and human resources. The fact that there is not a centralized funding mechanism is certainly a threat. Like, it makes everything uncertain. Um, what can also come is political resistance from particular members of the network uh, in the efforts to address certain discrimination. Um, I think that inadequate data collection can also be a threat. Um, in fact, if we don't like, if they don't collect the data correctly and don't understand the reality of racism and discrimination among their population, it's pretty hard to address the problem. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, of course, it makes a lot of sense. Um, another threat would be the failure for members to comply with their commitments. As we saw, there is no clear mechanism to enforce and yeah. Um, Another threat will be that there can be at some point too many members and it's more difficult to reach a consensus and to implement actions. The more you are, the more difficult it is to to come up with the same solution. Yeah, so it runs the risk of becoming more of a symbolic way to say, oh, we're committed, committed to fighting discrimination, but then not actually doing much, I suppose. Yeah, that's exactly my point. Okay, I mean, uh, clearly there's a lot of uh, opportunities, but also challenges to this network. Uh, I think what's worth noting is that the UN itself has recognized ICAR as an important platform uh, for fighting against racism and various forms of discrimination uh, on multiple occasions. For example, in 2009, 
during the Durban Review Conference. Uh, they highlighted the role of cities in addressing discrimination. And I mean, this makes sense. Cities are important meeting points, especially with today's migration patterns. Uh, there's a global trend of urbanization. So, I mean, it makes sense. There's a lot of discrimination <laughs> yeah. happening in cities. So, of course, they're going to be the front line um, in the fight against it. So, yeah, the UN recognized their work and praised it. So I think that's promising, to say the least. Yeah, and since members are required to provide concrete action plans, you know, to identify the problems and the issues related to racism before creating any mechanism, it's another way to provide solution and solve these problems. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think the whole uh, knowledge sharing thing, though it can sound vague at times, is still very useful. Uh, some solutions might seem obvious in a certain setting, yet uh, creative in a different one. So I think it's really good that there is a platform for cities uh, to come together in the fight against discrimination. I think it's a very productive uh, effort as well. I think it can benefit the broader society in urban areas. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and like, like sharing knowledge, but also resources like financing and so on, advocacy, uh, advocating for policy reforms, implementing good practices, for instance, uh, in order to ratify certain international treaties. It's all a, a part of a mechanism that has positive impacts uh, at the end of the day, you know. Yeah, at the end of the day. But at the end of the day, also, it's quite clear from everything we said that the entire network is fairly dependent on the willingness of its members True. to invest <laughs> their time, resources, efforts, etc. in the project. So, you know, it, it, it so long as there's political will to do this, it's great and all. But I, I think an opportunity that they could definitely jump on is trying to make the whole network and the whole project a bit more resilient than to be entirely dependent on just goodwill. That's totally true. I, I totally agree. And also there is a, a great need for adaptability uh, in any aspect of life. You know, things are evolving faster than ever today and adapting to new forms of racism, of discrimination and coming up with innovative responses to those challenges will be a key determinant to the network's future, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, like... Uh, Thinking about the future of uh, the network and its opportunities and threats and what, whatever, like I, I think I could see the network continuing to expand. I mean, it's already very, very wide and uh, far-reaching. You know, new members, new activities, outreach, maybe future new regional or national organizations, and a continuance of this commitment to achieve, you know, to to to, to declare victory against racism and discrimination. <laughs> but but I'm not. I'm sure that there's also, you know, reasons to doubt whether it's going to turn out this way. Like, there's also a risk, unless there's some serious uh, institutional consolidation and some clearer mechanisms, that it becomes more of a way for cities to symbolically say they're against racism mm -hmm. uh, by just being members but not doing much. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. Well, we see what's coming in the future and how the network evolves. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time and uh, see you next week. Thank you.